Hello and welcome to episode 3 of The Only Way Is Reading, a podcast brought to you by Essex Library Services. We are dedicated to bringing you great book recommendations and interest stories with a library twist. I'm Beth and in this episode we are discussing the books we read for our book bingo challenge, talking about how reading can improve our mental health and well-being and then setting our next book bingo challenge. I'm joined by Freya and we've invited Catherine along. How are you both? Good, thank you. Very excited for this week's episode and excited to have Catherine here. Oh, thanks Freya. I'm really excited to be here too. I'm a big podcast fan already, only two episodes in. You guys are doing a great job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm so glad you're enjoying it. I mean, we're having such a ball just recording them, so it's really great to hear that people are actually enjoying it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it's hard sometimes when you're sort of talking to each other the whole time. It's nice to get people coming back and saying that they actually enjoyed it. And I heard that you took part in our book bingo challenge. I did. A book with 200 pages or less. Well, actually, do you know what? The first time Beth said to me what the challenge was, she said it was 200 words. And I was like, really? (laughs) She said, oh, no, no, 200 pages. (laughs) So I was kind of, okay, that's good. So then um, I'm not ashamed to say I did have to Google and fortunately a... A popular book website, Goodreads, did come up with a list of books that were 200 words. So there were some good ones on there to consider. I considered Hitchhiker's Guide, which I've never read before. Instead, I was tempted by this book I've had knocking around for a while by Mary Beard called Women and Power, a Manifesto. And Mm. I admit I was rather attracted by the cover art when I first picked it up. I absolutely love that cover art. Um, What was the book about? Well, it's like a transcription of some lectures that I think she gave. She's a professor at Cambridge, I think it is. And yeah, it's just all about women's relationship Mm. with power and how people have been, women have been kept from kind of being part of the discourse for a long time and her experience of sexism and, and... the kind of tactics people use to kind of try and keep women's voices quiet but yeah it was really nice and it was nice to just read something that I could easily get through in limited time so thanks for the challenge it was uh, yeah definitely made me think I think one of the good things about books that are a bit shorter is I think they can tackle harsher things things like feminism and power and you know topics like that because they don't you you don't feel like you're being lectured because it's only a small amount of time and you get really empowered and you get lots of information but then you can kind of take a step back to absorb it rather than feel like you're involved in this giant war (laughs) yeah I think it it was a manageable chunk wasn't it that's like it's like why TED talks and stuff are popular because it just gives you a bit of a taste of something and then if you want to go deeper and and go more of course there's always more you can read but it just yeah it's a good intro Mm, I think that's absolutely great especially with sort of maybe more like philosophical topics and things like that which actually segues us perfectly (laughs) into the book that I read um, which was Lord Arthur Savile's Crime by Oscar Wilde and this is a witty tale of dandies, anarchists, and, mur- and a murderous prophet in London high society. It follows Arthur Saville, who receives a prophecy from a chiromantist, which is essentially a palm reader, that he's going to murder someone. Lord Saville is also about to marry his sweetheart, and he thinks the fact that he is going to murder someone will be very inconvenient what event once he's been married. So he sets out on a quest to fulfil this prophecy in borderline comical fashion. I won't spoil the end of the book, but it's a really great exploration of fate and the extent to which one's own character shapes one's fate and the fact that you can't separate those two things. The idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. Oscar Wilde also believed really strongly in the power of the human mind. Um, So if you enjoy literature like that, I would really recommend reading some of his titles because he also wrote The Picture of Dorian Gray. And although that's a lot longer, it explores the same kind of thing. Sounds really good. Really interesting. And I definitely understand how it's a bit inconvenient to murder someone just as you're about to get married 
I'm recently <laughs> engaged myself and I imagine there's a lot of stresses that I'm going through without having to con be concerned about who I'm going to be killing. Well exactly, you've got to worry about the flowers, you don't want to worry about who it is that you're going to happen across and then need to murder. <laughs> well, yeah, I think exactly. I think just keep, keep everyone on a list and uh, you know, you'll get to them in good time. <laughs> like an RSVP if you will. <laughs> <laughs> A way to get the uh, invitation list down, I suppose. <laughs> You've reminded me, though, of um, the book that's just won a prize this week, actually, My Sister the Serial Killer, which I've just downloaded from our RB Digital app because that's open access so as many people can have it at once. And, um, yeah, it won an award in the bookseller last week. And, um, yeah, so far, so good. Oh, brilliant. That sounds really interesting. I know that, Beth, your book is actually a lot different to mine and Catherine's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always seems to be each episode that my co-hosts are reading something very profound and intellectual and I'm just reading something a bit strange <laughs> so for this challenge I actually read Stardust by Neil Gaiman who is one of my all-time favorite authors so basically Stardust is about a boy who lives in a small English village called Wall named after a huge wall that runs around the village um, that basically prevents humans from stumbling into the magical world that lies beyond the wall. And he takes the risk to cross over the wall in order to find a fallen star for a woman who he is in love with. So it's a very kind of ethereal story, very beautifully written. There are some amazing magical elements in there. There are pirates and there's, you know, mythical merchants and witches so there's lots of sort of fantasy elements in there, but I think it's a really interesting explanation just about that stepping over the garden wall and kind of how, almost in a way, how books represent the wall and how for us to adventure into these fantasy worlds, we simply need to cross the wall or to open the book. So I thought it was a really beautifully written story, but with a really interesting message that's really cool that you're able to find that message like, I, I haven't read it so I don't know how explicit it is but it just makes you yeah that's what I love it when you read a book and you're kind of both absorbing the story but thinking oh well that makes me interpret this whole side of life differently and that's you know that's the joy of reading isn't it yeah completely it's like a beautiful form of escapism which I guess is kind of a form of sort of self-care if you will because you could kind of shut off and fall into this like beautiful fantasy world for an hour or two in an e evening and just absolutely let go and pretend that you are, you know, the fallen star or the pirate. I know what you're saying about the escapism, but I often find that what helps me is not just the escape, but the way that reading a book often reframes a problem for me without me even realising. So I think I'm reading a book to escape, only to find that I finish it and start doing things differently in my life. Like maybe because I'm inspired by a character or, or maybe it's just shifted my perspective. So like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was reading Brave New World and it was horrible. It was just so grim. <laughs> it features like the first few chapters feature babies being electrocuted. And I texted the person who had recommended it to me and said why are you making me read this? It's awful. But you know, it definitely made me feel better about the lockdown <laughs> and the same um was for american dirt by janine cummings which is a fantastic but quite recent publication and it's about a woman who has to take her young son who's like a similar age to my children and attempt a horribly dangerous daunting crossing across the mexican american border so when i finished that i just really thought yeah you've got no problems you're fine <laughs> i think that's brilliant though i think it's so great that everyone kind of reads for a different reason and they read different things and i know that Catherine, you work quite closely um, with services to help people 
reading for wellbeing. So uh, would you like to tell us a bit about kind of your role in the library? Sure. So my job title is Customer Partner Outreach and Engagement Lead. And part of my remit is to ensure that our libraries have got services and resources in them that support people's health and wellbeing. And, you know, we know that libraries are places in normal times where you can come and connect with other people. And we know that that's fantastic for your health. Or libraries are also places where you can come to get accurate and neutral information. It might be as simple as you see a poster about getting your flu jab. You know, that's the library helping you stay healthy right there. But with the books, I think that, you know, lots of readers intuitively feel that reading is um, good for them, something that they do to help them feel well. Um, And there is good evidence to back this up. For example, we know that reading reduces stress levels. So libraries and reading can support people's health in so many ways. That sounds really interesting. What kind of titles and stuff do you have in the libraries? All libraries nationally, including our libraries here in Essex, support a joint programme with the NHS and a charity called the Reading Agency that's called Reading Well. It sometimes gets called Books on Prescription, it used to be called. So that obviously sounds quite doctory, but I mean Reading Well is a much nicer term. How do they, how is it that these books sort of help? It is kind of doctory in the sense that um, there are some lists of books that have been carefully put together by doctors, nurses, other relevant experts, so psychologists, oncologists, people that work with older people or people with dementia, experts in child health. There are lists that have been curated for mental health, including separate lists for adults, children and young people, and also lists of books for other illnesses or conditions, really, that people have to come to terms with and manage for the rest of their lives, maybe. So diabetes, cancer, bowel conditions, autism, ADHD, chronic pain and fatigue, you know, things that present a real challenge to people in how they're living their lives and a lot to get your head around. There's also a whole list for people with dementia and their carers as well. Mm. And is this something that you need to be sort of referred by a doctor to read or can I just find them and pick them up in my local library? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. You can just find them in your local library and pick them up from the relevant shelf. And obviously staff will always help you find something in the library if you need to. And you don't need to have been referred specifically. So you can find the lists online for yourself to to track down the right titles if you just search for reading well. And, you know, see what title takes your fancy if you think, you know, well, I'd really like to get on top of my anxiety. You know, you'll find a book that's that's relevant to you and then you can look it up on our catalogue and we'll help you track it down. Of course, you might find a book and you might decide, well, I'm just going to buy it and, and that's fine. But of course, we know that the beauty of the library is that it's free. And, you know, you don't want to spend a tenner on a book to then read the first paragraph and then and think, no, this isn't going to help me at all. This just doesn't speak to me. So the beauty of getting the books from the library is that you can try one, two, three different books on a subject before you really find one that you think, yes, this works for me. This is going to help me manage my condition. Quite a good tip. I realised this week that if you just search our online catalogue for a reading well collection, well, the books will all come up that way too. So don't worry if you've kind of forgotten the author's name or you're, you just want to have kind of a bit of a browse. So I'm really interested in how you were talking about how there are reading materials to help with actual physical conditions because I understand that reading can help with sort of mental health conditions but I'd never really considered a particular book that could really help you with like you said something like diabetes or arthritis or something like that so how is reading kind of meant to help exactly? Yeah I think maybe people might think that we're suggesting that maybe you take your arthritic leg and you prop it up on a pile of books that you got from the library (laughs) so you could do that I'm not sure if that would help. So I think the, the main purpose of the books really is that they help you to understand your condition a bit better which is going to help you to be a better patient um, so better under better able to understand what your doctor's telling you because we all know you don't get a lot of time to ask questions sometimes in medical appointments or you might just be given a leaflet 
and you've still got more questions and you want more information so people like to get their information in different ways don't they um, and different books are going to work for different people you might have more diagrams more real life stories case studies workbooks to, to kind of go through difficult or complex feelings that people might be having so what the books are helping you do is what the doctors would refer to as self-management or non-guided self-help and so that can make a difference to you whether you've got um, a mild condition or or even a severe one will, will help you with one aspect of that so you've got kind of the instructional side the kind of how to manage your diabetes type guide that will sort of give you lists and, and practical advice but then also there's plenty of fiction or kind of narrative non-fiction I guess on the list as well whereby it's people's stories and that can be so inspiring to hear from someone that's perhaps been through the same kind of difficult place that you might be in and they're you know on the mend or coming out of the other side of that so uh, yeah different things are going to work for different people but the most important thing is think is that people feel that you know they're not the only one in the world to be feeling in this way their pain is real but there is hope and there are things that you can do that are going to help you to feel better brilliant and is it just for adults or do you have titles that are specifically for children as well yeah, Freya, there's some great books for children on the list. There is a whole list for children's mental health because, you know, sadly we know that that's being... Well, it's a good thing that it's being increasingly diagnosed, but people do worry that problems for children's mental health are on the rise. And so books just provide a great opportunity for children to understand a bit mm. better what's going on in their heads, really, and to open up an opportunity for a conversation with an adult about that as well. And also, of course, children get diagnosed with long-term conditions, things like autism that they'll have to kind of navigate for a long time. Um, or might be displaying symptoms of kind of obsessive compulsive type behaviours and they really need some help with that and, and an idea that they might not be alone. I'll give you a few examples of some of the titles on the list because there's some great ones. So Ruby's Worry by Tom Percival, which is a, a beautiful picture book. I've read it with my kids actually about a little girl who kind of learns how to share her anxieties and in doing so it kind of breaks them down. Ella on the Outside by Kath Howe and Planet Omar by Zalib Mayan, both deal with that sort of really difficult time for children of moving home or moving school and trying to make new friends and kind of the impact that that can have. Michael Rosen's sad book is on the list which is kind of a book to help you explain depression to a child really in his case brought on by a bereavement but it, you know it's about him being sad and it, it's just a really really beautiful book a lot of people might have come across that one already. So yeah so many fantastic examples of, of books that can help children going through some really difficult things outsmarting worry how are you feeling today something bad happened a kid's guide to coping with events on the news i think that one sounds great and one's about what it's like to be a child if your parent has a mental health condition as well like up and down mum i think that one sounds really fun and i think as well like with parents it's a great way to help them understand how the feelings are felt through the eyes of a child i think it's brilliant that 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 area of reading and health issues is being covered because i think a lot of the time you almost take for granted that children will almost just get over it, that they've got, you know, their minds are still forming. Yeah, people say kids are really resilient, but I think resilience is something that needs to be kind of built and strengthened and, and worked out in a few ways. Yeah, I think it's also really important to expose children to these conditions as well. So if there are books that on the list that are about kind of helping your children to understand maybe a condition that, that you have or, or a family member or friend has as well, because it might not be happening to them, but they will still be trying to understand it. So I think, yeah, kind of opening up that, like you said, safe space and that almost conversation to explain to them why this is happening so they can then understand it and then they can start to formulate how they feel and how they want to sort of 
transmit their emotions I think that's a really important kind of issue to be promoting really yeah I think that as a parent when you can see that your child is struggling with something but you're not kind of quite sure what or why you can really panic and and not know how to help them you just really want to wrap them up and, and help them hide from it really but actually there are books out there that will give you both practical family advice and ideas but kind of emotional advice as well and guidance to help you and your children find that space to articulate what they're feeling so you can kind of sneak these discussions in under the radar really by talking about characters in books that are feeling brave or sad or angry instead of having to make it you know a very personal conversation about them i loved the concept as well where you were talking about kind of the reading for well-being and and things like that i think it's a really important subject because i don't think reading for kind of wellness has to be about reading about a particular condition or issue that you need to overcome i think any form of reading be it kind of fiction non-fiction even even something like a magazine everyone that reads reads for a reason and they they can take something away from that and they can use that to kind of learn how to deal with things that are happening in their life even if they're not specifically searching for books on the subject so kind of what does the idea of reading for wellness mean to each of you because i know that it, it's something completely different for every single person so i'm just really interested to to see what it you know why each of you read for me i definitely am somebody who is an escapist reader i really like as i was saying earlier i love the idea of sitting down for an hour two hours and just switching your brain off and completely immersing yourself in a completely different world that's why i absolutely love reading classical literature because the social norms back then are so different to our own that you can just kind of you know put yourself in there in their world and then when you're done you can leave that there and you're not feeling as though you're bringing any kind of the burns that they had with you but it's just a great way to kind of not be in your current world for an hour or two oh freya i'm so impressed with you i mean i've read a few classics and enjoyed them but they're definitely not my go-to genre for something relaxing i think my brain just struggles to tune into them everyone is just so different in terms of how they relax Mm, I just love the flowery language if you will I don't really have a technical term for it but just the airs and graces and the properness flowery's good I like flowery I think my poor overworked brain just needs something so easy that it's just going to pour in (laughs) like there's something that I don't really need Mm. to decipher yeah I think for me it's difficult for me to be able to really enjoy a good mm. book and to just really chill out if I have to have a thesaurus next to me or a dictionary. <laughs> so I read for a similar sort of reason, that kind of escapism, but I don't really escape into more classical novels, so I enjoy those easy, frilly lady moves to Cornwall to open up a bakery because she doesn't like to be CEO. I like those. <laughs> um, I also like YA. Um, I read quite a lot of sort of... Sorry, what's YA? Young adult. Oh, right, yeah. Of course, I need that. Yeah, sorry. In the in the cool hip YA biz. Yeah, I'm just way <laughs> older than you. So yeah, I read I read quite a lot of um young adult. Um I quite like. Again, it's the predictable, gushy, awkward romance. I think it's that you know where it's going and you're just kind of sitting along for the journey. You don't really have to get involved, you can just kind of watch it happen, which is quite relaxing. And then I really love fantasy. That's that's kind of a huge genre that I read quite a lot of. It's one of those genres where you either love it or you just don't really get on with it. And I think 
fantasy fans are kind of die-hard fantasy fans but I think it's a really great escapism for me and I, I think fantasy genre enables the writer to kind of tackle subjects and issues in a way where you don't you don't feel like you're looking at it point blank it's not reflecting you in a mirror because you're seeing you know a dragon slayer Mm. going through these difficult tasks so you're understanding what they're going through but you don't you're not being forced to kind of face the issue head on and confront it so I think that's what I really like about fantasy. I think it's a great way that um everybody sort of connects with each other as well isn't it it's that sense of connection when you see someone else's struggle written in a way that you couldn't describe yourself absolutely when I when I asked a friend yeah I was thinking about what we're going to talk about in in this podcast and I said you know what what would you go to what's your like first thing grabbed off the shelf if you're you know feeling a bit down and she just straight away came back and said Bridget Jones though my first thought was yes of course how can anyone not laugh when she makes the dinner party of blue soup and marmalade (laughs) it's reading for humor it's reading to make you laugh because laughter's the best medicine right exactly and then, but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, like, well, for me, like, Adrian Mole would probably be on my list. You know, the great series by Sue Townsend. I think there's kind of six or seven of them now, and I've read them all. You know, from he takes him from age 13 to kind of up to his 50s, I think, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant character. But that's just what you go to if you want something funny. And I think diary style books are particularly good at helping me feel better about things because you're seeing the part of somebody that they normally disguise from the world like normally they're putting across a glossier outside but if you're reading their diary you're kind of getting the this is what life is really like for them and it it just makes me think like do you know what we're all just muddling through mm. definitely i love that. i lo- um, i really like bill bryson is another one who does quite a lot of more personal yeah i think that's i think that's brilliant because like you said in a diary entry they're just showing you who they actually are rather than who they're trying to portray to the world and it kind of gives you that allowance that actually you are allowed to have negative feelings and you are allowed to be miffed because you know Sandra at work came in in the same top as you but you said oh it's completely fine it's so funny God, I hate Sandra. and actually you're seething it's okay <laughs> um I haven't really read much Bill Bryson to be honest but I've heard that he's a really comforting writer for a lot of people yeah I had him on my list as I find him quite comforting to read I think like he's kind of a similar age to my parents I think he kind of reminds me of my dad so there's a book of his I love um called notes from a big country and um another thing that's quite good about it actually is because it's um newspaper columns it's quite good if your attention span is struggling a bit as it can sometimes with anxiety and he writes about what it was like to go back and live in America after he'd he'd lived in the UK for a really long time and and kind of his sort of comedy struggles with that and there's a quote from it that I absolutely love I'll read it to you he says Of all of the things I'm not very good at, living in the real world is perhaps the most outstanding. I am constantly filled with wonder at the number of things that other people do without any evident difficulty that are pretty much beyond me. I think we've all felt like that sometimes. He also has this one that's really beautiful, actually. He says, Take a moment from time to time to remember that you are alive. I know this sounds a trifle obvious, but it is amazing how little time we take to remark upon this singular and gratifying fact. By most astounding stroke of luck, an infinitesimal portion of all the matter in the universe came together to create you. And for the tiniest moment in the great span of eternity, you have the incomparable privilege to exist. I want to see there, that's lovely. That is so beautiful. Got me a bit emotional. <laughs> I think that proves that books are really powerful tools to make you feel like the only person in the universe. 
Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a reminder that, um, you know, your pain is real, your experience is real and that, yeah, you're you're special and important too. Yeah, definitely. I should mention, if anyone does need any more recommendations of books that are just kind of going to warm the soul in that kind of way, uh, the reading agency publishes a list that they call mood boosting books. It's a really eclectic mix of titles that have been recommended by reading groups up and down the country. So there's some great stuff on there, old and new um, for adults and young people. Um, so just do an internet search for mood boosting books, choose one you want, and then you know come and grab it from the library. Mm, brilliant, amazing. Thank you so much for telling us all about reading well and all of the yeah great resources that are available. So now we can pick our next book bingo challenge. Ooh, yeah. Just to remind you all, every episode of the podcast, we are randomly selecting a category from our book bingo board. We then have to read a book that is part of that category. So it's kind of a way of us changing up what we're reading um, and also just a different way to pick because I think sometimes there's far too many options. So just to remind everyone, the remaining categories are a book with a blue cover, a book that's been adapted to screen or stage, a book with a connection to Essex, a book written by an author of a different nationality, an award-winning book, a book with a number in the title, or a book that a friend or family member has chosen for you. So Catherine, would you do the honours of picking a number between one and seven? Ooh, I'm going to go for number four, please, Beth. Number four. Oh, I like this one. So for the next category, we are reading an award winner. Ooh, Ooh, award winner. Cool. Yeah, which is very apt because in the next episode, we are actually talking to Helen Lederer about the Comedy Women in Print Book Award. So I think that's being announced in September. So I think it's a nice idea to get reading all the award winners that have already been so we can make space for... Before they throw a load more. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, the British Book Awards were announced last week, actually. Um, I think they call them the Nibbies. I followed those online. So there was definitely a few of those that I wanted to um, start up. Um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo was one of the winners, I think, and that's on my list. Um, and also Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. That looks excellent. So, um, yeah, I think if I carry on with Book Bingo, that's the one I'm going to read. What about you guys? You will really enjoy it, I promise. I finished it for my book club last month and it's just incredible. I think I might try and find the most obscure book award. One of those, you know, worst book. <laughs> I think a winner's a win. You know, you're still an award-winning author. No one needs to know what the award was. So, <laughs> exactly. I think my mission is to find. You know how on the front cover of books you have like a quote from an author. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and find the best front cover author quote of an award-winning book, and that's the one that I will read. Oh, what a challenge! So yeah, for our next book bingo challenge, we'll be reading an award winner. It'd be really great to get your recommendations so please comment on our twitter or facebook page at essex libraries next week we will be talking to helen lederat about the comedy women in print book award and this has been beth freya and Catherine. on the only way is reading see you next time bye bye